Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. My name is Clay Wright, and I'm going to be hosting this podcast episode. I am blessed to be here with some of my co-campus pastors. So do you guys want to introduce yourselves or... What up, what up, what up? Chuck. I'm Chuck, also known as uh, Charlie Miller, campus pastor of Avon Lake. Yeah. And uh, what, what else do you want to know about me, Clay? Uh, tell me how you chose the, your outfit this morning. I was feeling green. Clay. So you kind of look like the Jolly Green Giants. I was feeling right? green. Yeah. According to my daughter's book on feelings, mm. green is the relaxed color mm. are you feeling peaceful i'm feeling peaceful that's good yeah you know i i was feeling i was dragging a little bit a little bit of a head cold going on here but had a little pick me up of uh, some caffeine and in a weird way it's comforting clay that's good yeah wow john jacobs uh vermilion campus pastor mm. oh yeah yeah yeah, and how do I feel really out of place because I'm not wearing like a beanie like you guys. I feel like super old. How'd you pick out your outfit? And, uh, it's because you're proud of your hair, John. You know, just little known fact, guys. I don't know. My my wife right now would be shaking her head. See what I do? All <laughs> the Jacobs, John Jacobs shirts are color coordinated. Man, this is like you talk about things that bring you comfort. I gotta know it's all, and not just that, but they like actually the shades. You know, we got the kind of the lighter really? green to the plaid to the dark one. To the, oh, yeah, man. So, but blue, so so your shirt to my eyes looks like a bluish green and then like a brownish orange. So does that go close to the blues or close to the browns? Clay, listen, if you'd like to sign up for my course, I'd be happy <laughs> to walk you through it. I'm not going to give away all my secrets here to the world on the cutting room floor. Fair okay, enough. There is a I heard you have a Christmas promo this. going on, too. 50% off. You can sign up. <laughs> there is. The link will be at the bottom of your screen. That's right. Or maybe not. You I'm just going to put code. a link to your email account at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Heroesoffaith.com. Uh, man, well, oh, it's, man. Uh, yeah. it's good to be here with you guys. Uh, uh, we do have a fourth campus pastor for our Lorraine campus, and that's Jason Russ. He... Uh, uh, misses you guys and would love does to he? be here. No, he does. He he wishes he could be here. I just saw him before we started, but he had to run. He he had some stuff come up. But uh, uh, this is going to be a little bit of a different episode because normally uh, in the cutting room floor, we talk about the sermon from the past Sunday that was preached at Church of the Open Door, where we are all blessed to serve as pastors. Uh, and so a lot of times that's Pastor Jim and I kind of unpacking where the Lord had Pastor Jim in the text. And uh, Yet, uh, every once in a while, about once a month, we get, we get a chance to, to preach out of the same text. And so uh, we get a little bit of more of a roundtable discussion. So I was preaching at the Elyria campus. Charlie, you were preaching at Avon Lake. Mm -hmm. And then John, you were preaching in Vermilion. And we were all preaching out of 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 21, or at least that's what we were assigned. And so I sort of preached starting in verse 11. <laughs> And uh, I know Jason was in the context as well, and we had lots of different supporting texts. And I, I got to listen to both of your sermons and just was really blessed personally by them. Um, I, I was off sick a couple of days this week, so I got to catch up and not cry in my living room listening to your sermons. So it was really great. Um, 
But uh, as we're thinking back about the text and getting back into it, I wanted to ask you guys, can you give us, obviously, because we got folks who didn't hear your sermons, although they are available on YouTube and on our church website if you're interested. But could you give us like just a short synopsis of where did God have you in the text of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 5? And, and how kind of what was your sermon about in, in, a, in a short statement? Oh, I got to, man, these are always hard for me. I was <laughs> put us on the spot, Clay. I mean, clearly, you know, we're, we're talking about reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the passages that I'm continually discipling people with. You know, a lot of times we get passages and you're, we have most of the Bible memorized, but not all of it. So sometimes mm -hmm. we're mm -hmm. reviewing things. But this one, yeah, I knew right when we got, I was excited to preach it. But it, it's always funny what you know, what God's teaching us. And so for me, I knew immediately that the main thing that I wanted to focus on there was we're dealing with so many people where this is an issue. Um, I'm, I'm hearing things as a pastor. It's, man, I'm reading God's word. It's not connecting with me. Um, I, I come here and I don't know, this things don't feel the same at church. So I was just immediately almost taken to, you know, Jesus uh, talking in the Sermon on the Mount about reconciliation and mm. knew that, the main thing I wanted to do was to challenge people like he said, man, hey, before you come here, you know, before you, you know, bring this gift to the altar, leave it here and man, go and be reconciled. And I guess really yeah. the, the, the main thing of mine was in order to understand reconciliation, which we all want, we have to understand the danger of separation. Mm. Um, you know, husband and wife, parent and child, friends, and therefore, you know, God and us. So. You know, that was really the main gist of um, trying to have people understand that, you know, man, God, God's heart is for us to be with him. And therefore, that should be our heart. And so that was really kind of what I was hammering on there. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. What about you, Charlie? <clears throat> uh, so one of the verses in, in the passage, um, Paul's writing and he says, uh, I, I implore you, implore you, therefore, be reconciled to God. It's interesting because he's writing that to a group of Christians. And um, I was hung up on that a lot when I was studying because um, if we understand reconciliation, that, that happens at the point of salvation. We're reconciled in our relationship to God. We're brought back into the, the right standing before the Lord. So then why is he imploring with a group of Christians, pleading with them to be reconciled to God? which led me down a, a, a study and um, was kind of the, the foundation of my, my message of, of what does it look like to experience the gospel afresh and uh, to actually live like you are reconciled to God. The gospel isn't elementary, isn't, it isn't old news. It's what it's all about. Yeah. And um, the idea of um, in order to bring the gospel, we have to bleed the gospel. It's kind of what I, you know, was talking about, about how understanding the gospel, that it, it's so real in our lives, that reconciliation and the story of God's re reconciling love is so real in our lives that we can't help but live it. Like, it's just who we are, becomes who we are. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was cool. So, you know, I'm thinking about the Corinthians and um, how they had begun to add things to what it meant to be Christian. They were trying to move, move beyond Paul, you know, okay, Paul, you're old news. There's got to be more to this Christian life thing kind of red flag when you move beyond the guy that wrote <clears throat> most of the new testament but uh so he he's pleading with them out of love 
come back to what is true. Come back to the foundational truth of, of the gospel. Hmm. And so um, it's kind of where, where I, I took my message, um, thinking about reconciliation and how it ties to the atonement and who we are in Christ and yeah. how that should impact our everyday lives. So, Yeah, man, I, I was in some pretty similar places. Obviously, we're focusing on the the idea of reconciliation, which comes up so much in the passage. Um, and that was a part of just situating it in within the series. We're talking about God's reconciling love in addition to his unfailing love the week before and even the week before that, his redeeming love. And when I was trying to think about how do you, because in some ways reconciliation and redemption and justification and all these like salvation words mm -hmm. that Paul uses, all these images that Paul uses to describe the, the reality of salvation, they can bear a lot of similarity. Uh, so like redemption, it doesn't just mean forgiveness from sins. It means being bought back, which is a very visual thing. It's very much rooted in the history of Israel. Um, but at the end of the day, we're talking about being bought back from sin and reconciliation also involves forgiveness because there's this, you know, rejoining of relationship. And so I, I was trying to wrestle early on with what do, what color does reconciliation add to the picture of God's love? Mm -hmm. And for me, that had a lot to do with the personal love that God has for us, that he's not, because I was like, you could, you could buy someone back from slavery, but not buy them back to an intimate relationship. You could buy them back and set them free. You know, I, there's this John Piper quote where he said, he's talking about justification and he says, man, to be declared, we, we can sort of grasp pardon and the idea that God might say, you know what, you've sinned, but I forgive you. Mm -hmm. We can kind of understand that. But the idea that God would not just say you're not guilty, but that you're actually righteous, the, this, the, this idea that we actually have the righteousness of Christ, which Paul talks about in our passage, and then greater still that because of that righteousness that we get restored to relationship with God, that's where that reconciliation piece came in. And so that personal element and the big danger in my eyes was that we we may embrace a version of Christianity where that relationship is absent, where it's not about the where it's about the rules, or it's about what we know, or it's about the way that we worship ritually, or it's about you know getting out of hell, these sorts of ideas. But it's not about being restored to that intimate relationship with God, and how how tragic that would be, mm -hmm. and how much more beautiful the gospel is that God loves me personally and pursues me intimately. And so I, I was in my sermon trying to help us to to recognize how we struggle with that idea that God loves me personally. Um, one thing that definitely was not on the cutting room floor, but has been really special to me uh, is a, a poem by George Herbert, I think is the guy's name. But he wrote these poems about love uh, from a from a, you know, Christian perspective and his third poem on love. So it's love three by George Herbert. The opening line is love bade me come forth, but I drew back. And it's a poem about his shame and how God responded to him in his shame. Mm. It's this beautiful mm. poem. It got used in a chapel one time while I was at Taylor university and it just destroyed me because this is so close to my story, mm. dealing with shame, dealing with how could God love me? That's, that's my story. So trying to help people see that we resist God's love, and yet God has come such a long way to remove every barrier. And so we need to be convinced of God's love for us 
so that like Paul, we can be compelled by God's love for us so that we can carry the message of God's love for us to a world that needs his love. Mm -hmm. That was kind of my, my sermon in a, in a sentence. Hmm. Um, good stuff. Can I, can I add a comment? Sure. This is an interesting thought that just came to my mind. A lot of things that Jesus teaches or or we hear, we read in the epistles are written to the collective. They're very Mm -hmm. body focused and the body of Christ. To me, it seems like, especially in this passage, reconciliation is very personal. Um, There's a sense of God no longer counting their sins against men, against them, against us as individuals, and how he's pleading with us to be reconciled. Reconciliation is a very personal thing. It's between people in, in a relationship. And um, even in our personal relationships, it's between you and another person. It's between us and a righteous God. And uh, it becomes very personal and very real. And I think that's another piece. When you were talking about wrestling with why is reconciliation and that, that aspect of Christ's love, why is that important? It's because it's so personal. Yeah. Whereas justification, that can be personal, but it also can be broad in that he's mm-hmm. redeeming the, he's justifying the bride of Christ. And he's you know, preparing a bride for him and those things. Yeah. Whereas it feels like reconciliation is very much like a personal. Or even justification, is it's beautiful, but it could be cold. Like True. it could be God just being like, oh, yep, I justify you. Mm-hmm. Now True. continue on yeah. and go forward, you know, go forth. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's. I feel like it's a lot more comfortable for us to, to imagine God as sort of this like, I'm doing this. But it's Jesus is really bending my arm. It's not because I am desperate for you. It, like even to put the word desperate in in the mouth of God kind of feels like to put the word reckless in the mouth of God. It feels unbecoming. Mm-hmm. Or there's there's a line in the song, "What a beautiful name," where it says, "You didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven was, down." Yeah. <laughs> and we've got some some guys who who, who struggle with that line, uh-huh. and yet for me, I'm like. And yet, he isn't the be- part of the beauty of reconciliation that he could have had heaven without us, and he didn't want it. He he brought he he didn't want it that way. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I, you know, again, we, we don't have to get into our Jim and I had a long conversation about artistic expression in the last podcast, um, but so we don't have to get back down that rabbit trail. But yeah, I, I agree with you, mm-hmm. Charlie. Uh, unless you want to get, do you want to provide the dissenting opinion or? Plead the fifth. Carry on. <laughs> what, I ser- seriously though, if we had a worship set that was like reckless love, and then what a beautiful name it is, I would just be like on the floor. I'd just be destroyed. Oh, yeah. mm. You know I me. Mean? I'm I'm all for the artsy stuff, man. Let's go. Yeah. So uh, one of the first questions I wanted to kick things off with, because obviously when we're preaching the word, we're we, it, c- it comes out of a deep study of the word and a communion with the Lord. So. As we're studying books of the Bible, in some ways, preaching a sermon out of a book that we're not studying as a church, I find is like a lot more legwork on the front end because you got to remember, okay, what's the context of this passage? What's the background? So when you guys think about 2 Corinthians, was there anything that you were reading about the background that helped to inform some of the ways that you think about the text that we read? Or, or what, what's going on with the church in Corinth and, and how does that, why does that matter to us? I'll be honest, like sure. for this one, because I was so familiar with the passage where a lot of times that's like what sure. I was referring to earlier, earlier when I am not exactly sure I'm doing a lot of that legwork where with this one, 
again, this is a just such a quintessential yeah. part of the gospel and who we are and how we're supposed to be. But it is fascinating to think just at, at the, the most simple elementary levels, this is a man writing to people where there's friction between people. There's things being said, and if we care about each other because we love God, we have to deal with these things. So we know Paul's heart there. It's like, what's going on, man? Why are these things being said about me? As believers, this is so much of the work we do. Like mm. if, if we notice there, there's something that's not cool with us, we have to do the hard work and the beautiful work of dealing with that. And so that's what's fascinating about so many of Paul's letters that that can sound harsh and, and sound loving. I mean, reconciliation takes on so many beautiful things. So, I mean, I think that's what you're referring to. Yeah, it, it's fascinating that really is his heart, you know, so much as like, what are these people saying about me? <laughs> what? You know, let, let me retort that and because he loves them mm-hmm. um, and because he wants it to be right. <clears throat> yeah. Do you want to go? You have thoughts? Sure. Yeah. So, so I, whenever I'm preaching out of a new passage, I'll always go and read the book from the beginning just to try to get a sense of where the author is at by the time they get to the, our passage. Because a lot of times that that's where so many of the cool insights come in. You're like, wait, okay, this is not set in isolation. There's there's something that's building here. And good luck doing that with second. I was reading through second. I was like, dude, what is going on? It's all over the place, man. And that's one of the things that I I, I mentioned this in the sermon, how as I'm reading as an, and as I'm studying second Corinthians, I'm like, dude, Paul is, he's slipping back and forth between these really personal issues. And then he gets all excited and slips into these broad, overarching, beautiful Mm -hmm. statements. Mm -hmm. And so Paul's, he's oscillating back and forth and you can see him getting worked up. I I feel like, because there's no, I feel like there's no other Mm -hmm. reasonable way to explain, okay, well, why are you jumping from this really personal statement to now this overarching statement and back and forth? So, you know, for example, when, when Paul says in verse 17, if anyone's in it, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. That that is a beautiful and overarching statement about the power of the gospel. Yeah. But leading up to that, he's he's saying, "Hey, we hope that you know who we are and what we have going on." Like back starting in verse yeah. eleven, that's why I wanted to jump into the context because so much of what Paul's saying is about these personal relationships and yeah. Um, so that that was a cool insight that I I used as a part of my sermon to to draw some similarities between us and the Corinthians where we, we can doubt what the Bible says or what God says about who we are mm-hmm. in the same way that the Corinthians doubt what Paul has to say because of the super apostles mm-hmm. who are, so, so there was some of that that impacted the way I read I read the text, but, but ultimately, um, you know, Paul does get into these overarching statements that in some ways can stand on their own. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. You know, it's the, the background of Corinthians is really interesting because, it's a church that Paul had invested a lot of time in mm-hmm. with letters and visiting and all these. Th- and so they represent a church that we would say isn't elementary in the understanding, or at least they shouldn't be because they have an apostle directly pouring into them. Yeah. For like years, for years, a year and a half or so. And, uh, and yet here they are, uh, which is a great reminder that even mature believers were not out of the woods. We can we can slip into false beliefs, right? 
and uh, we can slip into adding things to the gospel. Um, you know, First Corinthians, he's addressing all these. I mean, First Corinthians is crazy. I mean, I don't remember the last time I heard a, a pastor do a sermon series through First Corinthians. I mean, it's it's there's some dense stuff because they, you know, Corinth was like Sin City. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in in the Roman world, the Romans consider picture all the sin in Rome. They pictured Corinth as like the Vegas Strip, you know, be like a church popping up on the Vegas Strip here. Yeah. What, and, was it you or was it Jason who was talking about the Aphrodite cult? Uh, probably Jason. Yeah, I knew yeah. somebody was. But, but I mentioned a little bit the, the temple um, the temple prostitutes, you mean? Yeah. 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 And, uh, and so that all ties in. And so I, I, he addressed a lot of that in First Corinthians. In Second Corinthians, it seems to be that they've fallen into some of that, um, some of that again. But also, they've also, in a way, kind of moved beyond Paul. Kind of saying, okay, Paul, like, we're kind of done with you. And, you know, you're a little bit eh, rough around the edges. Um, For anyone that wants a great recap, you know, the Bible Project does a great job. If you ever want to, you know, look at a kind of an overarching, arcing, arching, overarching theme and, like, laying out what the book is about, they do a great video of kind of highlighting it. But... Yeah, it was really interesting. So then here they are, this supposedly mature church, and he's laying out a foundational truth about reconciliation right in the midst of that, you know, that letter. So, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine the Apostle Paul living with the church in Corinth for a year and a half, all the while like they're doing all this crazy stuff that you read in first and first Corinthians. Yeah. <laughs> He's probably just like pulling his hair out, <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. But... I can't figure out who I would not want to be the Galatians or the <laughs> Corinthians. I mean, which one do I not want to be? <laughs> yeah. Cause he's pretty scathing the both, both churches. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, another thing that's, that's fun to, to recognize. Some people believe that second Corinthians is actually two letters put together because you know there were more than we we just have first and second Corinthians in the New Testament, uh, but there were a lot more letters that went back and forth between Paul and the Corinthians. And so, in the context of second Corinthians, Titus, who was one of Paul's co-laborers in Christ, had brought back some news from Corinth. That's presumably what he's writing in response to. We also hear about uh, like a harsh letter or like a sorrowful letter that Paul sends them that we don't have in our, in our new testaments. And so sometimes one fun question that people will nerd out about is if we were to, he nerds out about it, especially John, he He wrote the book on it. I'm going to listen to you guys here. (laughs) Come on, John, I want to hear your perspective on this. If we found, if we found one of the missing letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, should we include it in the new Testament? Mm. Is it, is it part of the canon? Yeah. John, what is your research telling I, us? I'm just, that's nothing that I really thought about at all while I was doing this, guys. Uh, yeah, man, just not, no, I will defer to you. I, yeah. I would say no if we found it uh, at this it's level. It's it's huh. done. Huh. It's sealed, man. Clay, I want to hear your perspective. You told me that you have we an opinion. We find this thing. You have an opinion that you, you want to share? No. Well, so I've, when I teach New Testament, when I teach the doctrine of the Bible. This is a fun question to bring up because uh, people are like, well, isn't the important thing the person that wrote it? Or isn't the, the important thing just like that time that God was doing stuff? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, the, the important thing about scripture is that it was inspired. Mm-hmm. 
And it wasn't the author that was in, that was inspired. The authors were carried along by the Spirit, but it was the it was the text that was inspired. So if you if you read Second Timothy three sixteen, it doesn't say that there were men who were breathed who were you know breathing God's breath into the page. It says, "For all Scripture is God breathed." And so, I, I believe that um, the the letters that we have retained for us are the letters that were inspired. Mm. And so for that reason, I if we found in some amazing archaeological discovery, a missing letter, I would not vote to include it. I would read it alongside of the Bible, like the Apocrypha, for example, very valuable, historical, helpful for context. Um, but, you know, by, and this is another misconception with the New Testament canon, you know, people didn't have all of these different equal documents. And then, they, you know, at some point in through the 300s AD, they just chose which ones were going to be in the Bible and which ones weren't. Mm -hmm. The fact that First and Second Corinthians were retained is evidence that they were inspired. The fact that the other letters were went missing or, or were lost to time is evidence that they were not inspired because part of the evidence for inspiration was how were they received by the church? Were they copied and passed along? Were they taken as as God's word in the moment? So for some of those reasons, I would side with with uh, and, John. And, uh, I'm right. Oh yeah, no, you're right. In my Sounds opinion, great. at least. And I would agree with you. For some reason, I thought you were going to go with some crazy, radical idea, but uh, it's probably you know knowing what he wrote in First and Second Corinthians probably was full of just nasty language and <laughs> harsh terms. Yeah, the and, Corinthians got that one. They were like, oh, we yes. can, uh, yeah, we can, we can, we, we can tear this one off. Let's this one around. The, elders. <laughs> the top says it's just for the elders to read only. Yeah. He's like, what the are you doing? Yeah. Well, because a lot of the other letter, like if you read Ephesians, Ephesians was a circular letter. Mm -hmm. Like it was not just for Ephesus. It was for a lot of the churches in Asia Minor. So whereas this, you know, the Corinthian correspondence as we have it is very personal, let alone, you know, if this this letter that, you know, wasn't retained presumably is more even more so. So, yeah, that's just a fun question to think about bibliology and it never would make it into a sermon, so I thought I'd bring it up here. <laughs> you should think about it more. I I this yeah, week I'm thinking Anytime right now, have, man. Just wake up at home. night. It just <laughs> So yeah, John's going to get home and be like, maybe I should let people know I found this. You know, he's, like, he's just had it. At yeah, home. he's had the letter. This thing was important. <laughs> so one question when we think about reconciliation theologically, um, which listening to your guys' sermons, I know you guys touch on this, but I, but I want to talk about it more. Who needed to be reconciled? You know, so when we think about reconciliation, it's this making peace between two parties or this bringing back into unity what once was separated or this reestablishment of, of an interrupted or broken relationship. You can read all these cool definitions, but at the, at the basis, it's the relationship is brought back. But when a relationship is broken, it could be a mutual break mm -hmm. or it could be a one sided break. Yeah. And so a lot of times people will ask about reconciliation, man, was God did God need to be appeased or was God chasing after us the whole time and we were just the ones who were gone astray? So was it reconciliation on both ends where there was this mutual break? Or did we just run and God has been chasing after us the whole time? Which one more, more faithfully represents the story of the gospel? And so I'm curious, you know, when, when we think about um, the, the beautiful reality of the reconciliation, it is it reconciliation on both ends or is it just us being reconciled? What, what do you guys think about that? 
Yeah, I, for me personally, this this was a big switch when when God fully revealed the the, the true gospel. I grew up in that thing where like. Again, God's issue is sin, and God can't look at you, the sinful person, and and sin is God's kryptonite. And, and when Jesus is on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because now all the sins were heaped on him, and God's over here like, I, I, can't, I can't look at that. And it's fascinating because, you know, again, if, if you read the Bible from the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned, I mean, we talk about an omnipotent God, and he's he's coming down. He's not like, well, I, I got to go find them. They sinned, or I can't go find them. There's immediately God's response is always going back to that key thing in, in reconciliation is is knowing how much God does not want separation. And that question, where are you? And, and to me, that's what we see over and over. God could, I said in my sermon, God can handle the sin problem easily. It's done. You know, just I'm just going to wipe them out. His problem is. I know who they are. Mm-hmm. I know how I created them. I would say it like this. like So it can be I have four children. When they were little, they'd do something wrong, and I could legitimately be – I'm not angry at all, but I know we've talked about this. I need to deal with their sin. Mm-hmm. I'm not dealing with them as a sinner. I'm dealing with you as my son because you've sinned, and I need you to know that my son doesn't do it because I love you, and that's going to bring harm to you, harm to our relationship. And that was a big flip for me too. Did did God die because I'm a sinner, or did he die because I sinned? He died because I sinned, and he wants me to know that I'm a son, You know, for God so loved the world. He, he already loves the world. That's why I'm doing this. It's not like, well, yeah, I'm over here. I, I can't get over this issue with, with Charlie over here. He's done this, and I don't know. I wish we could make it right. I know my heart. I know who you are. I, and as again, as a dad, I'm already good with my kid. I just want them to know this is happening because of sin, and we, you need to make it right. And now that's so. I don't know if that makes sense, but definitely it's it's on our part to receive what God's already done. I mean, his, his love is unfailing. It's that Hesed love. It's not well waxing and waning. And right now, I'm kind of struggling to to feel this way for them. It's uh, no, I'm, I'm trying to have you understand, you know, how I feel about you. And, and what's interesting about that is consistently. So, so Paul talks about reconciliation, I think three times, I think there's five spots in the new Testament where reconciliation is mentioned and there's hard, I'm trying to remember, there's not very many old Testament uses as either, even if you look in the Greek for, for that same word, but it's like, it's second Corinthians, Romans five, Colossians two, maybe and then there's one in Matthew where Jesus is talking about go and be reconciled to your brother and one other that I can't remember off the top of my head. But in all the ones that are a reference to us and God, every time it's we who are being reconciled back to God. And it's and in Matthew five, what, what it becomes so clear is that it says if you realize that you have sinned against your brother or if you realize that you have an issue with them, you need to go and be reconciled to them. So it's the the party who's at fault is always in the New Testament, the party who's brought back in. And so that doesn't assume fault on the other person's end, although there could be. It all, it, it's not a slam dunk case that there isn't. But but for sure, John, what you're saying is consistent with the, the New Testament usage of the word. Um, and yet, does that mean so, – so like sometimes when, when we think about the the atonement, which is, you know, sometimes a word that needs to be defined – um, but when we think about the atonement, which is God's saving work through Christ on the cross, p- 
people will ask, was there was there anything objectively accomplished here? And that's what I remembered as I was wrestling with this question, because I agree with you in our text. It's all about God has done all the work. You just got to be come on back. You, you need to receive his love. And that was the point. Of, you know, that was the big idea in my sermon. If, we, if we'll just receive the love of God through Christ, it will change us. Mm-hmm. It will compel us. And yet, um, does that mean that there was no barrier on God's end? Uh, and I don't think our passage really says it clearly, but Charlie, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, so one of the things I did talk about a little bit in my message was that the atonement, um, that there, that there was a barrier on God's end because he's a holy God, but the atonement provided the mode by which re- the reconciling love could be carried out. If it wasn't for the atoning work of Christ on the cross, God's reconciling love could not have taken place in our lives. Jesus provided the means by which we can be made holy inside of a holy God. And then Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He becomes our new identity. So the cross provides the means by which God can then pursue us with reconciling love in that way and rec- truly reconcile us back to him. Apart from the cross and what Jesus did, he can't reconcile us. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, and and see that's what's so interesting because I in in the passage even if you if you read that verse twenty one where Paul is like breaking off into this like haiku moment he like he he just like at the mm-hmm. end of the passage he's kind of said what he's going to say and he's like <clears throat> God made him who knew no sin to be sin mm-hmm. <laughs> that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um. And to me, that's that. And and I see. I don't think I don't think that God ever stopped lovingly pursuing creation. To John's point, mm-hmm. and yet a part of His loving pursuit of us was dealing with that barrier. So I don't I don't think it ever was like God was like I'm really upset with you, but then Jesus died and now we're all right. I think it was always out of love. Well, I think I think He knew the cross was coming. That was always His plan since mm-hmm. the fall, and so I think his pursuit of us started when he gave the first, um, when, when he spoke out after the fall and said, you know, he's going to strike your heel, but he will crush your head, you know, foreshadowing the coming Messiah, which was the ultimate pursuit that Jesus, that God was, was pursuing uh, his creation. And those that were lost since the beginning has always been through Jesus Christ and the, the gospel. Yeah. You know, a, a really cool um, analogy that uh, I heard and I've stolen from my life uh, when it comes to this um, reconciliation. Um, so if you picture like an old pickup truck when they had the bench seats, you know, in the front. Yeah, yeah, You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Like, like a Ford Ranger. Like, like uh, where you tuck the seat belts and behind. Like super old, like the bench seats where you could sit like three people wide the across the seats. front. In the front, in the front. It's just one seat. Oh, yeah, man. The old yeah. pickup trucks, yeah. like custom deluxe, you know. I think the old I Dodge actually pickups. I have ridden in this. They're like bench seats. Kind of a Basically like a sofa. In yeah, the it's front like a sofa in the front seat. You can cuddle up with your <laughs> yeah, sweetie. Okay. And so there's this old couple. They're driving down the road and they're driving the truck and they, they look out the window and they see this young couple. And so, you know, he, the, the old husband's driving the truck. She's sitting over here and they drive by and they, they drive past this, this, this real young couple on another pickup truck. And she's 
all the way against him because back in the day you could cuddle. He's got his arm around her while they're driving down the road. He's all cuddled up against her, and and they're driving. Yeah. And uh, the old wife looks looks at her husband and goes, "Man, isn't that nice? Man, don't you just miss that? Isn't that so nice?" And the husband looks at her and goes, "I didn't move." And um, interesting. It's this powerful story of he's driving. He's like, I, you know, I didn't. So it's, if you apply it to the Lord, it's like God's driving the vehicle. And so often we're the ones that are fading. Right. Mm. And uh, God's often saying that to us. Like, I didn't move, but I'm willing to be pursuing you. Right. Yeah. And drawing you back into that relationship with me. Yeah. Um, but that that image has always stuck with me. And I, and I would argue that's always the case. And I would that's what Jesus is referring to in you know Luke fifteen. Like something's been lost. I'm looking for it. It's never like well. And there's time. It, it's that's always the pursuit. Mm-hmm. You know. And and when you begin to realize that it's uh, to me it changes everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's cool with me on days where I'm doing good. And there's other days where he's got his arms crossed and it's it's not so good. Um, even trying to grapple with that he he will not count my sins against me. How many? How much time do we actually think that's what God is up there thinking? Well, today he's got to be really disappointed when over and over I will remember their sins no more. I will not count their sins against them. And yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah. fascinating. So like, good. We're the ones. And yeah. That's what that first picture of Adam is. They're the ones that run. They're the ones mm. that separate. He comes and pursues Cain right after that. Cain's the one that's still like, hey, buddy, I want to make sure mm-hmm. you got something crouching here. Mm. I still want to yeah. talk to you, and it's it's that's always the picture, yeah. man. Yeah, uh-huh. it's good. Yeah, and, and a lot of I mean, humanly speaking, a lot of times when we think about reconciliation or relationship, it can bring up marriages. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about that moment of reconciliation, it could be like the recommitment of vows from like by both parties, mm-hmm. and that's actually an example that's that gets given in Scripture in Jeremiah thirty-one, where God is talking to Israel, indicting her um and saying you know we had a covenant together mm. we were in we were in relationship with one another and you broke the covenant you ran away but god's response to the covenant unfaithfulness of his people is not indifference it's doubled down covenant mm-hmm. so he says he says listen i gave you the law i told you how to live with me in covenant mm-hmm. and you couldn't do it see because the problem which he says earlier in Jeremiah 17, the problem is your wayward heart. And so what God says is, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a new covenant, not one that can be broken, uh, one, one that will last forever. And I'm going to put my, I'm going to write my law on your hearts. So your heart, your wayward heart will no longer be a barrier to our covenant relationship. And I'm not going to count your sins against you anymore. Mm -hmm. And this day is going to come about. That's Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Mm -hmm. I've paraphrased it, but. I wanted to quote that so bad. I just couldn't work it in (laughs) Mm -hmm. because to me it's, and then you jump forward to Jesus at the last supper saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise that God makes of, of dealing with our wayward heart. And then through Jesus, the giving of the Holy spirit who regenerates our heart and allows us to live in relationship with him. So like a lot of those really rich themes talking about reconciliation are woven throughout the biblical story Yeah, that there just was, not yeah. even close to time for, but you know, it's interesting thinking about, um, reconciliation with God as believers. Um, <clears throat> one of the, another statement that's always stuck with me is that Christianity, our Christian life is, is all about proximity, not mm-hmm. about performance. It's about proximity, getting, being close with Jesus and how often as we drift, even as believers, as we drift, 
God is constantly pulling us back into those, those intimate, close relationships, those moments with him. And so it's not rocket science, not, not rocket science, I should say, um, that when we are close and have close proximity with the Lord, um, that we experience growth. Yeah. And it's not about performance, trying to earn our way and earn his favor. It's about spending time with him. So, so here's here's another question along those lines is when we think about reconciliation between us and God, is, is that something that happens one time for all time? Because like, like when we think about justification or forgiveness from sin, we're like you're there's a moment of forgiveness where you where you or regeneration where you transform from death into life. Uh, even in verse 17, when Paul says the old is gone, the new has come, we, we might equate that with this regenerative work. You know, you were dead. Now you're alive, spiritually speaking. You were alienated from God. Now you're um, restored to relationship with God. So is, is reconciliation something that happens once with God? Or is reconciliation something that happens on a continuous basis between us and God? What do you, what do you guys think? It's absolutely continuous. Yeah. I mean, if if I... When I'm living and breathing, when I wake up in the morning in the best way possible, going back to Charlie, what you're saying about God's presence, because this isn't there's no condemnation for those that are in Jesus. So the Holy Spirit, literally Christ in me is constantly, even if it's a conversation I'm having in my head about these guys wearing beanies and making me feel <laughs> all strange for you know, the goofy things that we can get upset about, sure. the love of God will convict me. It, basically, mm. John, that's. That's never how I felt about you. Why would you feel that way with them? So it's interesting, like my relationship with him in reconciliation is always reminding me how I need to be reconciled to my wife, to my children, to my coworkers. You can be driving and a complete stranger and you're thinking, going back to Jesus' point about, you know, you fool or maybe saying something worse than you fool. <laughs> and in that moment, the last thing I'm thinking about is my father, about my savior, about what's done. And you can see Paul's obsession with the cross, and I think it's because the more I reflect on that, not in a poor little me, but like the thrill of knowing that that is how much God values me, and I'm reconciled all over again. Like, thank you. My heart is changing toward people. So to me, it's not like a, I've got to wake up and like, oh, my goodness, who, who do I got to make it right with? It's this beautiful life-giving. When I'm in that, I call it flow, and that's to me just the best way to describe living with Holy Spirit, that flow. I'm unstoppable. Yeah. And I'm unoffendable. Uh, it, and it, it actually, it's funny, going back to why they killed Jesus, I would argue that one of the main reasons was him living in that flow with the Spirit, with the Father of this. What's really bugging people is, how can you love that tax collector? How could you just call him out of that tree? He didn't say he was sorry. He didn't like make some big, and you're just going to go have dinner with him? How can you just forgive that adulterous woman? And he's modeling like, Guys, this is life. You know how beautiful it is when you don't have to count someone's sins against them? Mm. And if you're good, this can be good. I, I believe, I, I could be wrong, that nobody says to Jesus in the Bible one time audibly, I'm sorry. Well, he, Jesus knew hearts. No, Jesus is love. And, and when you give out love, it's amazing the people that need it receive it. And that's our job to go around. So I would absolutely say, man, it's a... If, if what I've really experienced when I've understood the separation between me and God and how far he came back to get right up in my face, by the way, like yeah. even if you would kill me perfectly, I still love you, bud. That should change everything and it should change it all the time. Mm. 
Mm. And that's that repentance. That's that mind change. Um, and that's why I see it's God's like a dog with a bone with it. If all these things you're learning, if you got issues, if you say you love me and you love the Bible and all this, but you're not cool with your brothers, like you don't get it. You don't know it. And that's, again, not a slam. That's like, and I want you to know it. Like, oh, yeah. this is where freedom is. So rant done. Dude, I, you, you go for it. Um, <clears throat> I think, uh, so it's interesting. What, one of the phrases he uses is the ministry of reconciliation. Mm. And mm-hmm. it's a thought that I've been thinking about. Um, I wonder if ministry of reconciliation has a lot to do with the outpouring of what reconciliation looks like yeah. in, in the rhythms of life, in the rhythms of the Christian walk. Um, because there is a sense where um, positionally, as Christians, we're reconciled, right? So positionally, the moment of salvation, I'm, no matter what, I can't lose that. I'm sealed. I'm reconciled to God positionally in my faith. But I might, I might walk completely far from the Lord. I may, I may not be reconciled in my life and how I live it out. And so there seems to be a sense in, like, be reconciled to God in the sense of, at that moment of salvation, you're reconciled. But then that constant reconciliation that happens as, as that ministry reconciliation is being lived out and played out in your life uh, over your entire life. Um, it's interesting, you know, God being outside of time and space, when he looks at reconciliation, it's a one-time act. But it's a one-time act that impacts our whole lives. Mm. So it's hard for us to th- – we think about it linear- linearly in a timeline. God looks at it as one moment of, I, I see you, I pull you back. Hmm. So it plays out often in our lives over a timeline. But for God, it's a one moment of, I, I choose you and I, I reconcile you and I pull you back. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, dude, I, I, can't, I can't stop thinking about I One time someone, do, do you get blue-pilled when you realize something new? Is that the, is that the phrase, like from the Matrix? Is the the blue pill that I was get, I was gonna mix up, man. I think it's the blue. Take the blue pill, and see how far the rabbit hole goes. That's what it is. I have no idea. I've never seen the Matrix. <laughs> Whatever it is, the, you've never seen the. Okay, you've never seen the Matrix. I've never we, seen we the Matrix. can't. We, this podcast isn't long enough for us to deal with that comment. We just gotta. But anyway, the point is, so one time someone was. I was reading an article about whether or not God is outside of time, or whether God is mm. like time is a part of who God is, like mm. a part of His nature. But suffice it to say, I think you're right, Charlie. There's there's a positional element to it. But so what's interesting to me is because we, we also have this beautiful word adoption that describes our salvation. And so like adoption is us being brought into the family of God, becoming co-heirs with Christ. That's almost that. I wonder if that could be described to be used to describe our positional being brought back to God. In addition to reconciliation, because that's what I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's there's different nuances there, but I, I definitely agree. There's there's a positional reconciliation where I am back in relationship with God mm-hmm. and that relationship can be good or bad. But I, we're related now. Yeah. So let me say this. On my worst day, I am God in Charlie. On my yeah. best day, I am God in Charlie. And yeah. that never changes. So for me, that's that's the one piece that I want to make sure we don't miss is that I am Christ in Charlie on the worst absolute day of my absolute life, even if I bomb it in every way. Yes. And uh, that's important to remember. 
Yeah. A lot of people need to remember that, you know, our, our position. Yeah. And, and then I think as well that that continuous piece, that has been what's been so special between me and, and my relationship with Jesus is coming around. And even though I thought I had sinned my way out of God's love, and I was like, no, dude, you need to receive my love again for you. It's still there. It's still powerful. There's forgiveness available. And that, that moment where I, my hard heart gets pierced and God's love gets poured back in and I receive it again. I would, in a very real way, even though that's not my conversion experience, I would describe that as a reconciliation between me and God. I'm, I'm being, I'm being restored again to this communion, Mm. this communion. Um, Uh, so I have a, I have a question for you. Can I, can I hijack this and ask him a question? Dude, this is your podcast now, Charlie. So I I love, I love what you said about the, human human reconciliation so in your mind how does god's reconciliation to us how does that work as a blueprint for how we can be reconciled to people in your mind when when you when you see god's reconciliation to us and you're and you i really love how you went there and and really went with okay so how are you dealing with the ministry reconciliation and people in your lives so in your mind how does that connect where's that connection point yeah i mean to me that's i don't know guys it's, it's such a simple gospel you know um and going back to that, like you're saying, you know, Christ in me, and if I'm truly listening to his voice and his conversation and, and there's no sins being held against us, and I'm, but also I can remember my sins and how much I've sinned against heaven, which I hate and I love because the thrill of that is always like, you know, I, I really only have one right in the kingdom of God. And that's what's so interesting going back to, like, the danger of reading Scripture or living this life apart from the Spirit when I read that thing. Because I only have one right, which is to love my neighbor, which could be mean loving my enemy. Um, that's how God pursued me. So mm. uh, I don't know. It's such a simple thing kind of when I'm in that place. It's and, it, it, and what's interesting, I would say that's the most offensive thing that I do as a Christian. The thing as a pastor, the thing in my family, the yeah. thing that angers people the most, and I see it in Jesus' life is, but they have to pay. <laughs> and I'm like, but he paid. And how in the world, you know, I use an analogy in my sermon, how in the world could I look at the cross and say, well, he paid it, but. You weren't really sorry when you said that to me. I mean, I know you said you were sorry or I'm going to say I forgive you, but I'm going to be frosty when there's a spirit in me of a man who was beaten, crushed, whipped, and he popped up in a room with the guys that bailed on him, Jesus, (laughs) and the first words out of his mouth, guys, is what? Peace, brothers. Hmm. And so we can look at Jesus again as a, a cute little story in the Bible or or people say – again, people say, well, that's Jesus. But he lives in me, man. Mm-hmm. And those are the conversations he has. And and the more I obsess with my wife's sin or my you know, daughter's sin or my friend's sin, over and over he's like, I paid for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm looking at them as son. It's a story of the prodigal son and again going back to like – they're both sons, by the way, in the story. They're never referred to anything except sons. They didn't come back to being a son. They were always sons, just one went away. Yeah. But when he comes back, the other son has to stay out of the celebration because he refuses to accept, but dad, we got to make him pay or, or I should get more. And it's like, in this kingdom, 
I just love them all. Mm. And that does not fly well with people. Mm. And that's why I say sinners make the best saints because for me, I know inherently that's what's so interesting in clay about shame you and i share this thing where i hate that that can be part of me but i love at times revisiting that and knowing the high i know the high price that god paid for me and that's not to be like oh like that you would value me like that like so that's the importance to me of, of reading scripture through the lens of the word jesus christ if I if I read it apart from that, I'm in big trouble. Um, when I read it through him, and I all those stories change, all of yeah. them change, and and it's always about God wanting the best for us. So, if that's the spirit, that's what I want. So that's that to me is the blueprint of it. If I get obsessed with Jesus, if I get obsessed of who He was, and I like literally and believe that I can do that. By the way, reconciliation. It's not even a. I don't even have to think about it. It's just this is what we're doing. Yeah. There's two – for me, there's two passages that come to mind. There's one is we love because he first loved us. So it's the fact that he first loved us that we're able to respond in love to God. But I, but I also think that carries – like you said, it's the blueprint for our love for others. It's the it's the way that it makes it, makes it possible for us to love others. But mm-hmm. then the parable of the unmerciful servant – where you have this dude who's forgiven this huge debt and then he's choking his yeah. co-laborer on the ground for yeah. a, for a small for the sake of a small debt and the master comes back and he's like you have no idea do you 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 don't get it yeah and that's that's the thing Christ has forgiven me such a debt mm. how could i hold yeah what yeah. you did against you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. And this is why when I when I counsel folks who are struggling with with resentment and, and forgiveness, my, what I always encourage them is you you have to get to a spot where you would rather that person's sins be paid for on the cross of Christ mm-hmm. than by them, because that's what God did for you. Mm-hmm. You you don't have to pay the penalty for your sin. Christ paid the penalty. You, you've got to get to a place in your love for that person that you would yeah. rather their sin be paid for on the cross yeah. than for them to receive the penalty. Hmm. And that's what makes forgiveness possible and powerful. It's because you can say, I, I can forgive you because Jesus paid the penalty for that. Hmm. Going back to that line from that song, Clay, like to me, that's what I see is like, I was actually counseling a guy the other day, he had some issues, you know, with daughter and a wife and the things that bugged them and... I said, man, if you knew that, you know, they were going to be eliminated from your life if you didn't change those things, would you? Because that's, you know, his contention was, I, I shouldn't have to change this. And, you know, if, if they were going to say, hey, if you're not going to change, then I'm, I'm out of here. Of course I would. And, and to see God say, hey, if it means I've got to come down here and, and, and you do your worship, that's what it takes to get you to believe, man. I, I will do that. And again, man, just to have that that same heart like why would i that's always the flip for me when i think like how much how far do i want to take this with my wife how much do i want her to know what she did to me or my kids and like and to think of like if they were gone tomorrow would any of this matter Mm. no so why is it mattering to me right now it doesn't mean there's not consequences it doesn't mean we don't as pastors we're dealing with you know sin all the time and people that we need to counsel and whatnot but my heart even as i'm doing that can still be at peace with those people so preach amen you're dismissed It's good stuff. It's good stuff, brother. Yeah. Well, one, one, one last question is, um, and then we'll, we'll wrap up pretty quickly here, but 
how do you, man, I'm kind of torn between two questions. So maybe I'll let you guys choose. But the first question is, how do you, how can you, what are the fruits of reconciliation in the life of a person? So when a person has been reconciled to God, they're living in that. What are some of the fruit that you expect in their life? Second question is, um, Paul talks about not just the reality of reconciliation between us and God, but then also how he says we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And and so then Paul says, I, Paul says, I've received this message of reconciliation, and now I'm charged, I'm entrusted with it, actually, to carry it along to you all. And that's something that we all touched on a little bit in the sermons. Jason actually is the one who really preached about evangelism as a result of this, mm-hmm. about proclaiming that message. Mm-hmm. So, the, so the second question is, what does that look like to be ambassadors for Christ and agents of reconciliation in the world? So feel free to offer any, any last closing thoughts on that as we're thinking about living out this reconciliation piece. What, what do you want to see in your congregation as a fruit? I think we have to believe it and live it first in our own lives yeah. and, and believe it so much that it's just, it's, it becomes every fiber of who we are. We can't help but live that reconciliation message. We can't help but love God and and revel in the gospel message and story in our lives and constantly remind, preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Um, but then ambassadors, you know, that's a representative a representative of a of a sovereignty of which that ambassador belongs. And so we we belong to this as citizens of the kingdom. We're, we're kingdom citizens. And so it's our job to represent the place from which we come, which is heaven, is, is a kingdom citizen of heaven. And so we, we've been given a mandate that no longer do we need to cling to the things of this world. We need to carry the message of hope as an ambassador, as somebody who represents our citizenship in heaven. Yeah. And so um, that's a whole other sermon. I mean, that's a whole other message you could teach on the whole idea of being <laughs> yeah. an ambassador. Yeah. And, um in my, in my message, I talked about how I had I had the opportunity to go and meet with a U.S. ambassador mm. um, in Africa. It was really cool. And uh, I remember walking from the CAR, which is one of the poorest countries in Africa, and had this big old buff dude, you know, the kind of guy that's like, you know, he could snap me over his leg, you know. Like, <laughs> like John. John. Like John. <laughs> I was John. just thinking the same thing. Like it me. was actually John. It was. <laughs> like me. Yeah, but like this big, you know, American guy was checking us out, checking our passports and stuff, mm-hmm. and he said, "Okay, you're clear to go." And I remember we walked through these double doors, and we walked from just some of the the poorest streets. It was dirt roads. I mean, really, really rough area. You know, you know shacks and 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 stuff. And we literally walked through two double doors, and it felt like I walked into New England. It was like this living room in in America and New England. It was a beautiful home and uh what it reminded me of was that in the midst of africa was this american woman who was as american as you could ever be and that was her job to represent the united states and the american the 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 interests of the united states and so she was american through and through she Mm. spoke like an american she cared about america the embassy was on american soil it was america 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 and that's okay because that's what they're called to do and it's a great reminder of do we represent the citizenship that we belong to? Mm. Even though we may be here in the midst of brokenness and pain, do we talk like a, uh, America, uh, like a kingdom citizen? Do we, t- do we act like a kingdom citizen? Do we pursue reconciliation like a kingdom citizen? That's, that's what it means to be an ambassador to me. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, I love it. I, I, I touched on that a little bit too, and I, I couldn't agree more from the standpoint of I would say this going back to fruit. And obviously fruits of the spirit, we could say all of them, but I would just – I will use this word. And it's what most people are lacking. It's what everybody wants, peace. So when, when you encounter – I call them larger-than-life people, which obviously Jesus was the prime example of this. People that walk around – they can somehow navigate that that all these people in situations they they exude this quality in the best way possible of you have no power over me mm-hmm. there's there's something inside of me so we think again in, in this statement of like one day i'm going to go to this place called heaven and then i'm going to be happy and in a very absolutely it's heartbreaking to me how many believers don't realize this that jesus is preaching we're kingdom guys man he's, he's obsessed with the kingdom where the king reigns, which is heaven. And he's like, I've got this peace because I have this reality that I know who my dad says I am. Yeah. I know what he wants me to say. I'm not going to be. So you can kill me. You can stone me. It's, you can't take away my peace. So, man, to, to, to look at my congregation and see people not in that and to know, not 99%, 100% of the time, there's a person that they don't have peace with a spouse, a kid, but guys, a lot of times it's themselves, mm-hmm. even that, you know, and, and to know that if, if truly like the kingdom is here and, and you could fully understand that, that God, again, I love you. I'm here. We're good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to be able to walk around with that same attitude toward people, which by the way, that's what the garden of Eden was. It's for all oh, you wonder what Eden was like. All I know is this. God said, we're good. Roam anywhere. There's not much else there. Heaven, really, the promises, we're all going to be together. It's all going to be good. Like, that's it, to be at peace with people because he's at peace with us. And so, man, that's that's my heart to be an ambassador of that, man. If literally he can put heaven inside of me, I can live from that place. I can be at peace with people because he's at peace with me. Yeah, amen. Yeah, may, may we be a people who have so received God's love for us in Christ. Uh, I'm thinking of Romans 5. Since we have received justification, we have peace with God. And just the way that that changes everything. And uh, I I do believe that this is a piece that I came back to over and over again in my sermon, that if we could just be convinced of the depth of God's love for us, it would be, it would compel us and it would change us, Mm -hmm. which is from second Corinthians five, five, 14 for Christ's love compels us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's, yeah, my, my, my hope is that we would be that kind of a church that we would be a, an embassy of heaven yeah. in Northeast Ohio. We're going to be baby. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Uh, by God's grace. So mm-hmm. thanks you. Thanks so much you guys for coming out of this podcast and for the ministry that you have in Vermilion and in Avon Lake. Thanks for and, your uh, ministry in Elyria, bro. Yeah, thanks, brother. <laughs> thank pastor you, Clay. I know. It's my first podcast. Well, not my first podcast as a, as a campus pastor, but our first round table where yeah, I was yeah. a campus pastor. Love so it. it's, good. it's exciting. Right. It's good stuff. Um, and thanks to you guys as well for joining us and for listening to this episode. Uh, if you appreciate what's going on here, please leave a like or a follow. Find us on Spotify or Apple or YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we want to invite you into this conversation. So if you ever, if you're ever reading along with us, in the scriptures and have some questions, we would love to address them. So send them in and, and we can invite you in and, and have that conversation alongside of you as well. But until next week, we will go ahead and sign off here. Mm-hmm.
Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.